That's fake. It's called the Christmas face. And it's what you learn how to do after years and years of receiving presents from relatives that you didn't ask for and that you didn't want. I've been part of the same family extended for the last 22 years. The last eight or nine of those years, I've gotten a five-pound bag of salt and pepper pistachios. I never asked for these. I don't like them. They sit in my cupboard until they decompose and I throw them away only to get another bag the next year. So this year at Christmas, I'm going to sit down. Someone's going to hand me a wrap present and I'm going to pick it up and right away I'm going to know what it is. And I'm going to open that up and the person that gave me that gift is going to look at me and say, you still like those, right? And that's when I have an opportunity to speak my truth if I wasn't such a coward. See, that's when I could look at him and say, no, I don't like those. They're so hard to get open. They hurt my fingers. No, I don't like those. The interplay of the salt and pepper, just, it just doesn't work for me. No, I don't like those. I open up the bag and they've all got their little mouths open. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> so many opportunities to speak my truth about salt and pepper pistachios. But you know what I do instead? <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I love them. I crave them. I dreamt about them last night. Over and over again, the cycle continues. And look, this is not my fault. My deception is not the issue here. Neither is my cowardice. The issue is that this person who gives me this gift doesn't actually understand who I am or what I like. If they knew me, they would know that I don't eat the salt and pepper pistachios. And maybe they'd start getting me the kind of gifts that I actually like. I brought a gift that I like with me. This is a sweatshirt. It says Jingle Bell Rock on it. It has a picture of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> I like this gift. If you come back tonight or tomorrow, I'm going to be wearing this sweatshirt. I plan to be buried in this sweatshirt when I die at the end of my life. This was given to me by my friend Michelle. She's worked with me for a long time, long enough to know that I am a man of exquisite taste and that I smell what the rock is cooking all year long. <laughs> this is the golden rule of Christmas. If you're going to give someone a gift, know the person you are getting the gift for. And see, when you read the Christmas story, you might be tempted to think that a certain group of people broke the golden rule of Christmas. The wise men. We sometimes refer to them as the magi. Because see, the magi showed up at a baby shower with myrrh and frankincense and gold. Babies don't like frankincense. Google it. It's true. But these guys show up for a baby with gifts that don't seem to make sense. But why did they bring those things? Well, in order to know that, you have to know a little bit about who these guys were. We refer to them as wise men or magi, but they were really astrologers, people who studied the stars, people who believed in, in mystical things. I like to think of them as really cool wizards because that's an enjoyable way to think about the story. So these wizards show up, and there weren't just three of them either. Because a lot of times we think the three wise men because there were three gifts and we just assume there was one for each person. But truthfully, history tells us there were a lot of these guys. And they were really important, which means they probably rolled deep, big entourages full of not only their family and their people, but security and other things. So think a huge group of people coming into a different country. So many people, in fact, that they stopped off to see King Herod first, probably to let him know that they, this wasn't an invasion, that instead they were just showing up for a different reason. 
And so these guys show up where Jesus is with their whole group of people, and they bring these three gifts. Gold, which makes sense to us. Frankincense, which is like a perfume. And myrrh, which is like an anointing oil. But these weren't just three gifts that they grabbed from their cupboard or from Jesus' gift registry at Target. These were things that they picked specifically because these gifts were the ceremonial gifts for one specific occasion. These were the gifts you gave at an inauguration. These were the gifts that you gave at a coronation. These were the gifts that you gave when a new king was taking the throne. See, maybe the wise men, the magi, the wizards, maybe they weren't wrong after all. Maybe they knew exactly who they were bringing gifts for because they brought really weird gifts for a baby but the perfect gifts for a king. So if you want to get Jesus something cool for his birthday this year, maybe start by figuring out what he wants. Let me tell you what, it, what it's not. Jesus doesn't want just your money thrown at him. He doesn't want your accolades or your successes. Uh, he doesn't want your, your church attendance or all of your good behavior reports. Those are not the things that he's after. But that's the things that we often bring to him on his birthday, thinking that somehow they'll impress him. And it's just like giving him a five-pound bag of salt and pepper pistachios. Don't you wonder sometimes if we bring those things to Jesus and he's just sitting there going, <laughs> making the Christmas face back at us? You know what he really wants? He just wants you. The name that Jesus had when he was, was first born, when he came here, the, the name that the Bible used for him was Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. God with you. That's what he wants. He just wants to be with you, and he wants every part of you. And sure, that's going to be your money sometimes. And when good things happen to you and blessings come your way, absolutely, he wants you to give him credit and glory for that. But you know what else he wants? He wants to be invited into your failures. He wants to be invited into the parts of your life that you don't have a handle on yet. He wants to be a part of the things that you're hiding from other people. He wants to be a part of all of it. So this year, you can save yourself a trip to Sam's Club. You don't need to get the salt and pepper pistachios in the five-pound bag. Besides, my in-laws have probably bought them all for Christmases for eternity for me already. So instead, why don't you give Jesus, just give Jesus what he wants? Your heart. A 
Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And a Happy New Year. And peace we will bring to you and your kin. May love and goodness start your new year. Start your new year. Start your new year. Start your new Thanks for being here, everybody, and Merry Christmas to you. Let's say thanks one more time to these guys and gals for leading us in a little music. Now, we've been doing an experiment for the last month by rousing swell of applause. How have you enjoyed our snazzy duds, our witty repartee, our comedic hilarity? Yes? Because we're never doing it again. This much dress clothes is terrible. I feel like I'm doing a funeral every Sunday. It's awful. So <clears throat> we do want to say uh, thank you to you on behalf of the pastoral staff uh, for your generous contribution last Sunday in our pastor's offering. Man, that means the world to us. We love working here. We love serving here. Um, and we feel like that love comes back to us in, in shows of support, ca cards, kindness, all of it. So, man, God bless you. This, this is the best place in the world to be. And, and on behalf of our team, thanks very much. And now, we do want to make sure that we put God first in all that we do, in particular with our, our giving. So, ushers, you come forward, and we're going to give an offering to God this morning. And I'm going to pray as we do that. Lord, thank you for the privilege to be in your house, the privilege of sensing your spirit speaking to us, as we shop, as we sing, as we rap, as we race around. Lord, we know that, that you don't abandon us in the Christmas craziness. You, you inhabit it. And so we pray, God, that we would increasingly wake up to you, being aware of your spirit in all that you do. And, and we pray, Lord, now as we give, that you'd receive these gifts in the spirit with which they're given. Amen. 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 Don't forget tonight, 
4.30, 6 o'clock, and 7.30 p.m. We are having Christmas Eve services. Those are identical to tomorrow on Christmas Eve proper at 4.30, 6 o'clock, and 7.30 p.m. Ben Redman, of course, will be wearing his rock sweatshirt. Very excited about that. What's more important is that the rock will be wearing his Ben Redman sweatshirt, which I don't know if you've ever seen that, but that, that's going to be spectacular. And we are at the end, as we said, of a series that we've been exploring for the last month, looking at strange and wonderful events that have happened on December 25th since the birth of Christ. Asking ourselves the question, how has our faith been formed by Christmas? And our main story today explores the wonderful and famous Christmas truce of 1914. By late December in World War I, the fighting had been raging for nearly five months. And people were asking again and again and again, is it possible that these hostilities will come to an end before Christmas? The answer, of course, was no. Because the only thing that's coming to an end at this Christmas is our ability to enjoy the song, Baby, It's Cold Outside. (laughs) Now, thankfully, we'll never have to hear this song again, but the controversy is strange. Now, the Great War was a tremendous burden on the entire human race. So much so that Pope Benedict XV asked for all world leaders to issue a truce. But this idea was roundly rejected. In fact, it was just slightly less popular than his nuns having fun calendar. (laughs) You see here the Christmas 2017 uh, edition. This actually is a real thing. And so if you're looking for a last-minute Christmas gift for yours truly, may I suggest this, this beautiful collection of celibate women celebrating their canoes in the absence of men, because I think nothing says the birth of Jesus like that. (laughs) Now, even though the world leaders rejected the idea of a Christmas truce, the rank-and-file soldiers loved the idea. And we're not exactly sure how it began or how it spread. We just know that 100,000 fighting men, roughly two-thirds of the entire soldiers in the Great War, stretching across a 30-mile span on the Western Front, decided that they would stop fighting. That's 100,000 men who would rather dance than fight, or as we call them, Europeans. (laughs) On Christmas Eve 1914, French, German, and British soldiers, against the orders of their commanding officers, observed an unofficial truce. Now, in some cases, this truce lasted all the way through till New Year's Eve, though in all cases, the fighting eventually resumed. The truces began allegedly when British soldiers heard their German counterparts singing over no man's land. Now, they didn't recognize the song. The song was Silent Night, still a nocta. And of course, now we all know Silent Night. We know the words, we know the tune, but then... Silent Night was a uniquely German carol, much like Oktoberfest is a uniquely German celebration, or Schadenfreude is a uniquely German delight in the suffering of others, or German Prime Minister Angela Merkel has her own unique Barbie doll, (laughs) which if you can't get the nuns having fun calendar, I would love one of these. Now, the British paused and listened as the voices carried across no man's land. Again, the Germans singing Silent Night. Now, the British didn't know that song or the words, but they were able to pick out that it was a Christmas carol, and so they responded by singing Christmas carols of their own. The British would sing Christmas carols, the German would sing Christmas carols, both kind of warring back and forth in an epiphany of peace until they both began to sing the same song. The British began to sing, O come, all ye faithful, 
And the Germans began to sing the same song in its Latin words, Adeste Fidelis. Two languages entwined in the freezing air, filling the night with joy and festivity. Much like my wife and I, lovingly telling one another where to put the gift if you don't like it. <laughs> this picture is from before we were married. Now, Soon thereafter, there were excursions across no man's land where small gifts were exchanged, such as food, tobacco, alcohol, and souvenirs like little buttons and badges. And then men began playing games of football, soccer to you and I, with one another, giving us one of the most beloved and memorable photographs of all time. Of particular historical significance was that this day was the last time any European played football without faking an injury. German troops placed candles and Christmas trees on their trench heads, and the two sides continued by shouting Merry Christmas back and forth to one another in their respective tongues, a practice which I think we should observe today. So let's pretend that the center aisle is no man's land, and you're one side of the conflict, and you're the other side of the conflict. And since it's church, you can both be good. But we're going to shout Merry Christmas, and you have to turn and face one another. Are you ready? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Now, because it wasn't just English-speaking people fighting, let us also yell, Joyeux Noel. Joyeux Noel. Joyeux Noel. And in German also, Frohach Weinachen. Frohach Weinachen. The truce is often seen as a symbolic moment of peace and humanity amid one of the most violent seasons of human history. It is a triumph of peace in an era of war and a reminder that God is more powerful than all the other forces in this world combined. And it's a reminder that we need because we are still at war. We are in conflict perpetually with the people around us, with those we don't like and those whom, with whom we disagree. And I think it's time for us to call a truce also, for us to realize that the Prince of Peace is calling you and I to be agents of reconciliation and change, that we have to reach out beyond our differences, beyond our dislikes and our distastes, and we must learn to love one another. And so today, I invite you to join me in an anthem of peace as we sing Silent Night. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, holy in so tender am I, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. All right, so it's no secret that humans don't get along very well. Uh, not only uh, individually, 
here at the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, there's a lot of tension sometimes in families, which is unfortunate. But even greater than that, we're, we're at a stage in history where America is very polarized. People don't like and hate each other. And there's all kinds of tensions because of difference. Well, God's intention is to bring all humanity together in unity. In fact, at, at creation, uh, we're created not to be alone. It wasn't good to be alone, but we're created for community because God exists as a community of persons. We're creating God's image and likeness, and God desires that we exist in relationship with others. And so the whole intention is to bring everyone together. And we're afraid of difference, and that's, we call that xenophobia. We're afraid of strangers and people who talk different, dress different, look different than we do. Uh, but interesting, the, the work of Christ, according to Paul, was to break down barriers between people. And whatever caused enmity between people, and, and in fact, in the book of Revelation, we find that one of the goals of redemption is to bring healing to the nations. And so when you're incorporated into Christ uh, through a church, the church is universal. Uh, and the church is made up of every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group you can think of. And so there's unity without uniformity. Uh, we're working together with one mission and one purpose, and that is to reflect God's image and likeness in the world as a community. And so this is a, a work, a desire of God. It's unfulfilled, but it was actually the work of Christ, the intention of God to bring us all together, to unify us no matter what our color, how we talk, how we dress, what age we are, what, what our differences are. Uh, the goal of Christ's coming was to bring humanity together. Uh, as all God's creatures. We find that theme throughout the New Testament, that God desires to, to bring all peoples together in, in a community called to worship him from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And that's the beauty of the church. It's very inclusive, it's broad, it's wide, and uh, we're all look up to God and worship Christ in the power of the Spirit, and that's what brings unity despite all of our differences. Welcome to Couch Surfing. I'm Kelly Heath. This is my guest, Stephanie Belcher. And before we go any further, yeah, you can clap for Stephanie. Go ahead, I'll wait. You can clap because she's awesome. Um, before we want we go any further, I wanted to let you know that the nature of what we're talking about today is sensitive, and so it could be triggering, especially if you've experienced any kind of sexual assault. I would encourage you to take the time now to get out, leave the auditorium, as uh, before we continue. Um, Stephanie said I could say whatever I wanted about her, so let's talk about last year. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> she is a strong, kind, caring person. She is a mom to Carly and wife to Dal, and she works for Allegiance, and she's just all around fantastic. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. You're Kelly welcome. and I have known each other a while since yeah. Dal and I have been coming to West Bend, so about six years, so Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Woohoo! Thanks for joining me. Um, this morning we're talking about people we love to hate, yeah. and the opposite of hate is love. And um, one of the things that keeps us from getting to loving other people is hurt and pain, and the way we overcome that is through forgiveness. What is the part of your story that you've had to forgive the most? So I think you're right about people we love to hate, and then there's like a few online that we always see. <laughs> there's always like the person that cheated gets like ragged on right, relentlessly right. and that's okay. But the other one that comes up a lot is anyone that 
um, has sexually assaulted someone. People say really mean, awful things. And I bring that up because I have a blog, and I've written on this there, that when I was a child, I was molested by someone that was close to me and my family. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, if we all have a few defining moments in our lives, that was one that really impacted my life because it really introduced me to evil in this world and the fact that there are some people that do bad things to people that don't deserve that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How did you reach the point of deciding that you were ready to forgive or wanting to forgive? I think there's a lot that happened. Um, and I can think of so many instances where I've had to forgive that, but I was once telling someone my story and what happened, and that person said, you know, the reason that that person hurt you was because that happened to them. Hmm. And in that moment, I learned that for me, in order to be a forgiving person, I have to empathize with and understand why and how someone hurt me. And the moment I did that, the moment I saw that the person that hurt me, like they were more than what they did, they were someone acting out of themselves being hurt. And yeah. they made those choices because they were in pain. And weirdly, like the second I saw them as more than what they did and as a person, as an, a child before God, I realized I had to forgive them. Hmm. Like, they did this, it hurt, it sucked, it was awful, but this doesn't have to be the rest of my life. I can let this go. Mm -hmm. So in forgiving them, you're not defined by that anymore. Exactly, like I, I once saw an article on Facebook that our friend Tim shared, and in that article he talked about how sometimes in today's culture people, our generation likes to define ourselves by some bad things that happened to us. Mm -hmm. So anxiety, depression, PTSD, ADHD, like all of these terrible things are hard, but we don't have to be defined by that because when you define yourself by this one thing, it really takes away your power. Mm -hmm. And you have power. God gives us this power. Absolutely. Jesus gives us this power where through him, we can forgive and move beyond anything, and we can move beyond all of our struggles, and we don't have to be defined by those. Absolutely. And that was an article on Facebook, of all things, that changed my life. <laughs> That's so fantastic. <laughs> Facebook isn't all bad. Oh no, goodness. not always. <laughs> uh, sometimes it can be used for really good things. There you go. Like memes. Right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, man, I love memes. Um, one of the things that we're really passionate about here at Westwinds is that our story, even the bad and ugly parts of it, can be redeemed. That God is working through those to make our lives better and to help those around us. How have you seen redemption in your life through your choice to forgive? I can, I've seen, I have so many examples coming to my head that I'm trying to pick one. Like I could pick a dozen and we could be here forever. But I think the one that's coming to my mind in this moment is I have a very good family, we're funny, we're independent, I can fix a toilet by myself. <laughs> it's great. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. That's more like, questions. I can do a lot of cool things. But the one thing my family really ever struggled to do was be forgiving. Mm -hmm. And I decided with my family and with my husband and with my daughter who's now eight months old, 
we're going to be the generation that stops this. We're going to be kind, forgiving people where anger and hatred towards people that, sure, they deserve it, great. But like, we don't have to hold on to that. It can stop with our family, and we get to be lighter and happier, mm -hmm. and we get to be this generation of Christians within our family that teaches Carly, my daughter, and other people about forgiveness. So that's what we hope to do. That's amazing. That is so, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your faith, your light. I just, I love you. <laughs> Thank you for having me, and thanks to everyone for listening. I'm grateful to be here. Yeah, absolutely.